grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, the Alpha, the Omega, Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, every year, three million Americans will be diagnosed with myopia, more commonly referred to as short-sightedness. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of you suffer from some degree of short-sightedness yourself. That's probably why you're wearing glasses. Short-sightedness, if left untreated, can be annoying or it can be dangerous. If you're trying to drive and you don't have glasses on, you can't see the objects in the distance, right? They, they're all blurry. You won't see them until they're right in front of you. And when you're driving, that's a bad thing. When you're reading a book, you need to hold it at the right right length in front of your face, otherwise you're not able to see the words. Short-sightedness deserves treatment. And the good news is that treatment for short-sightedness is pretty simple. You can go get a pair of glasses, or if you want to get really fancy, you can go get LASIK surgery to correct short-sightedness. It's a problem that causes some danger to your life, but requires an easy solution. This morning, we are talking about, let's call it, a short-sightedness of the heart. And just like short-sightedness of the eyes, it can be dangerous. Just like short-sightedness of the eyes, the solution, the preventative measure, is pretty simple. That's what Paul is getting at in our lesson from 1 Corinthians today. Here in chapter 7, Paul has already just spent some time answering questions that the Christians in Corinth had for him. See, the Christians in Corinth had written him a letter where they had certain burning questions on their hearts that they had to ask him, get a pastor's advice. And so they asked Pastor Paul, can a Christian be single? Is it still God-pleasing if you don't get married? They had to ask Paul, what if you are already married? And then you come to believe in Jesus, but your spouse doesn't. Does that mean that you have to divorce them? Or what do you have to do, Paul? And Paul carefully, honestly, earnestly answers those questions. He says, yes, you can be a single Christian and still give glory to God with your life. No, you do not have to divorce your spouse if they have a different faith than you. In fact, if you stay in that marriage, it could help them, could help them see their Savior Jesus. And then he says the words of our text for this morning as if he's anticipating where these questions are coming from. He's answering the heart of the question. He's answering the priorities that these Corinthians were showing in their questions. And that's why he says some pretty shocking stuff, right? The first time I read this lesson, I was like, Paul, what are you talking about? Those who have wives should live as if they don't. Those who are happy, who are sad, should live as if they weren't. Those who buy stuff, who live, who do commerce, who participate in the economy, should act as if they weren't doing those things. Paul, what are you talking about? Well, we know what Paul is not saying in this lesson, right? He's not saying that we should poo-poo marriage and that there's no blessings in marriage. Of course Paul thinks that there are blessings in marriage. Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 5. In the Christian church, our premier verses about the blessings of marriage and how a marriage gives glory to God, of course Paul thinks marriage is a good idea. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ who himself defended the beauty of marriage when he had the chance. He's a believer in God. 
And marriage, after all, was God's idea. He was the one that came up with the thing. So it's, we can agree that Paul is not saying that marriage is just nothing and offers no blessing. But, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul remembers that time that Jesus said to those groups of people, marriage is a huge blessing, yes, but it's just for this life. There is no marriage in heaven. No marriage in heaven, we say. That shocks most of us, right? That grates against us. I know how those words sound, but think of it this way. If heaven is truly the perfect state of existence, nothing but 100% pure joy, we don't need marriage to make it any better. Heaven is just as good for the single Christian who dies and goes to heaven as it is for the married Christian who dies and goes to heaven. But I know that still kind of bothers us to hear, doesn't it? Why? Because from little on, aren't we kind of taught this message that the greatest good you can achieve is to grow up and get married, to have kids, to retire, to enjoy hanging out with your grandkids. And that all sounds like really good stuff, right? But is that the point of our existence? And who taught us that in the first place? Or set aside marriage as the example, a lot of us hear from very early on that the most important thing you can do is find a group of friends, carve out your niche in life, and find people to do life with, to weep with, to rejoice with. That is what is important. Find your tribe. But is that the reason that we exist? Or another message that we are fed, let's say, is that if you find a job that you enjoy, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life, right? That our purpose in life is to find a well-paying, good job where we're contributing to society, and that makes us feel good. But is that the point of our existence? Now notice, brothers and sisters, that all of these examples that we've been talking about so far are good things. Marriage is a good thing. Having kids is a good thing. Having a well-paying job that you love is a good thing. Having friends is a good thing. But where we go wrong, where we go sour, is when we place that as number one priority to our existence on planet Earth. We can say that culture teaches us this, but didn't we teach this our culture? What came first, the chicken or the egg? The Disney movies or the people who wanted to see Disney movies about true love and marriage and all that stuff? No, we can call this a short-sightedness of the heart. Where the things that are good, the things that are blessings, the things that make me feel good right now, all of a sudden become the most important thing in my life and nothing else. And that's not a cultural thing. That's a sin thing. That has been a reality. It's the way we think. Ever since Adam and Eve, we inherited this in our sinful nature from our first parents, Adam and Eve. That we would place a higher stake, a higher priority on things that make us feel good in the here and now over and above our relationship with Jesus. So think about it. If you had a mental secretary who is keeping track of everything you thought about in a given 24 hours, 
everything that brought you joy, everything that brought you stress, everything that, you, that gave you the most concern. If that secretary drew up a mental pie chart to show you where your attention is going, what categories would we see? I'll be the first and the most ashamed to admit that the biggest section of the pie chart would be toward myself. I'm worried, I'm concerned, I think about myself more often than anything else. Then maybe my family, my friends, my hobbies, my job, all that stuff. And then a tiny sliver of that pie chart would be Jesus and my relationship with him. And you know what's so sad about that? You know what's so tragic and ironic about that? According to what Paul says, that tiny sliver, your relationship with Jesus, is the one thing that matters for eternity. Everything else passes away. You see proof of that all the time. We see reminders of that every day. When our relationships, our friends, aren't there for you the way you want them to be. When your job that felt like a cakewalk for so long, all of a sudden you have a really bad day and it doesn't feel like a cakewalk anymore. When your marriage, it's a rough path. When something, anything, disappoints you, it's a reminder that that thing is not going to last forever. The world in its present form is passing away, Paul says. And thank Jesus that it is. I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm not trying to be depressing. Seriously, thank Jesus that this world in its present form is not going to last forever. Thank Jesus that through his blood shed on the cross, he has promised you, guaranteed you, so much more than what this life has to offer. Because Jesus appeared epiphany onto the human scene. He lived among us, he died, and he rose to guarantee that all those times you were spiritually short-sighted, all those times you placed something else ahead of him in your heart as your number one priority, those are forgiven, those are washed clean, because Jesus set you as his number one priority. When Jesus lived on earth, and obeyed the, the will of the Father. He was not short-sighted at all. Every second of his life was directed toward the greater field of vision, the greater mission of saving you from your sin. No matter what was going on in Jesus' life before he went to the cross, he was thinking of you and saving you from your sin. Because Jesus would stop at nothing until he could guarantee you heaven when this earth finally does pass away. That's your promise, brothers and sisters. A perfect existence with Christ forever when you pass away or when this earth passes away. That's yours. And because Jesus has done that, he has cured our short-sightedness. He has cured our tendency to just see what's in front of our face because he's shown us the bigger picture. He's shown us that time is short, that the process of this world passing away has already begun. It's on its way out. And so he gives us permission to use the time that we have wisely, to use the blessings that we have wisely, 
to act as if our time is simply borrowed and our blessings are simply borrowed too. So if you're married, that's a good thing. That's a blessing from God. Use what precious time we have left on earth to make sure that your spouse's relationship with Jesus is as good as it can get. If you're not married, that's perfectly fine. God bless you in that vocation. Make sure, though, that Jesus is your number one priority and and your relationship with him is your number one priority. If you have kids, if you have friends, if you have people who are very close to you and who are very important in your life, those are all blessings. Paul is not saying that we should abandon those relationships, but what he is saying is that we should use them. That you should use what time we have left to make sure these people in your life are aware of the full and free forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. If you have a job that you love, that makes you feel butterflies in your stomach every day that you get to go to work. That's great. Do that job to God's glory. If your job is just a way to pay the bills and you're fine with that, that is also great. Use that to God's glory as well. Because time is short. We only have so much time left on this earth to prioritize Jesus and our relationship with him. So let's use what time we have left to make sure that we're connected to the ways our relationship with Jesus grows through the word, through hearing what he has to say in the Bible, through the sacrament, by coming to his table, by being at church, by being with other believers and strengthening each other as the day approaches. Now it sounds kind of scary. It sounds like a threat that time is short. But it's truly a blessing. There are so many disappointments in life on earth. There is so much sin within and without us. See through your Savior Jesus the bigger picture that you are saved, that you are headed for greater things in the end. Time is short, so let's use it. Amen.